everybody. Welcome to Profoundly Pointless. My name is Nick Vinzant. Coming up in this episode, fireworks and America. I got it in my blood at a very young age. By the time I could realize that you know you had the pressure of a family business, I was already addicted. Green and red is probably the easier colors to make. So when you see a fireworks show that's predominantly red and green, it's just because they can't make a good blue. Most fireworks you've launched at one time. 960,000 devices, which was a world record. <laughs> In eight minutes. <laughs> 52 different cities spread out around the entire kingdom of Saudi Arabia. I want to thank you so much for joining us. If you get a chance, like, download, subscribe, share. We really appreciate it. It really helps us out. So no matter when you're listening to this or where you're listening to this, we have all seen and been captivated by a fireworks show. But what does it take to actually put one of these shows together? It is so much more interesting and complicated than I ever would have thought. Our first guest is part of a family that has been making their own fireworks and designing fireworks shows all over the world for six generations. Our first guest is the creative director for Grucci Fireworks, Phil Grucci. So as the creative director, when you get ready to put together a fireworks show, like what goes into that? So when that call comes in, we kind of feel the client out on what they're looking for. And that that puts us in an area of um, the scale of the, perform- the performance, where it's going to be, if it's going to be in downtown Manhattan, or is it going to be out in a out on a farm out in uh, eastern Long Island. That sets our stage. Right? What is the stage? Is it a roof of a, a billion-dollar building, or is it a, out on a barge on the Hudson River, for example? That's the staging. Um, naturally, uh, this, the business aspect of it has to happen, such as what the budget is that they have. Some of our programs um, range into the thousands of dollars into the millions of dollars. So obviously that puts you into a, into a box that, uh, that you have to work to create something its budget and what the stage is. Once we have that, <clears throat> if, it's a, if it's a performance that we're choreographing to music, it's setting a music score. So we listen to all the music depending on what the celebration is. Naturally, on the 4th of July and in Independence Day, everything is very patriotic. Everything is very pure and colorful and red, white, and blue. Uh, if it's a wedding, then it's generally, you know, what's the bride's favorite music? What's the, what's the groom's favorite music? What's the message? What's the theme? So when we pick that soundtrack, uh, we go through that process of then scoring that music, and then that becomes the bed or the timeline that the fireworks performance is uh, is is designed to. But then there's some clients that have a theme that uh, that we have to create, you know, uniquely, and and what what the celebration is about. And then then the design is the meticulous setting of every single firework device that's going to be displayed in that program at a very precise moment in time based on what that music, what the tempo is. If the music is big, robust, and Baroque, naturally the fireworks have to match that. If it's soft and delicate, you don't want to be ba bum ba ba bum in the sky real loud. You want to be soft and delicate with the product that you select. So it's it's very much like casting a, a, a ballet or a dance. You know, the certain characters or certain performers act and do things uniquely than others do. So we'll have a firework that's called a golden Camaro that's very elegant and it bursts. It's very gentle when it, when it, when it displays. And then we'll have a firework device called a report or a salute. 
that all it does is make a bright white flash and a bang. And those get choreographed into that performance uh, at the appropriate time when it matches that design, tempo, and feel. So then that's all the design side of it. Then that's about a third of the activity. Every, every minute of fireworks you see in the sky takes me about two hours of scripting and design time to kind of plot that material out um, on where it's going to be, at what angle it's fired from, which portion of the theater or the stage that we're working with, where does it get located, and we have 12,000 points to pick from to discharge fireworks from. So that's how, how elaborate some of the performances can be when we're picking a single device that's going to be on the pinnacle of the building and it's going to fire at a 45-degree angle to the, to the south. Um, that's the kind of precision that goes into some of our performances. <clears throat> so once that design is completed, then it goes to the programming department and they they meticulously take line by line and and put it into a computer program that then generates all of the drawings and scripts and all of the to give to the pyrotechnicians that are in the field to know how to actually install this this program that I may have envisioned on on my system here at the uh, at the studio but then translate that into paper where the pyrotechnicians in the field can set all of that product up properly and have the green one fire when the green one's supposed to fire and the pink one fire when the pink one's supposed to fire. Then it goes down to our factory in Virginia and all of those characters, all of the, the gold willows and all of the red strobes and the gold flitter split, split comets, they all get put in and arranged in order by which they're, they're going to be displayed and they get numbered. So each circuit, every single firework has an electric circuit that it gets fired from. They all get packaged and then they get shipped from our factory, which is a regulatory rich uh, oversight that we have. We follow a lot of laws to move explosives because it's not sneakers and socks um, to any place around the country or the world. Some, sometimes we have to put our fireworks in containers and ship them by sea. Most of all of the fireworks get shipped around the United States by truck. And on the rare occasion when the time is very short, the client has to pay the, the exorbitant expense to fly it by air. Then when it gets to the site, that's another five or six. The, the largest program we ever displayed was a Guinness World Record, which we had 250 pyrotechnicians working on site for over a month and a half. Um, we served 15,000 lunches to this team to be able to put the show together that only lasts six and a half minutes. I cannot believe how complicated that is. I honestly mm. thought, and I don't mean any offense, like I thought it was like a guy pressing a button. Like, all right, green one. There is a guy pressing a button at the end of the day, guy or gal. We've got plenty of female pyrotechnicians, but there are the pyrotechni pyrotechnician eventually does press that button that starts it all. But all that work that I just talked about has to happen before that proverbial push of the button happens. So you got like your average big show say city fireworks your average like city fireworks when when do you need to start planning for that fireworks event like how long does that whole process take yeah that's a good question uh <laughs> most of the time we prefer to get eight to a, eight months to a year to prepare for a show fourth of july we have 80 80 some odd firework displays that we'll produce in that one weekend that one day and what i didn't include before in my description is all of the logistics that has to happen, moving a, a crew around, getting the airline tickets, getting the hotel to the hotels, getting the trucking routes, getting the permission from the area that you're going into to display the show. The fire department, 
the Coast Guard, the FAA, all of the regulatory parts of it. It's pretty much based off of music is usually how you're going to kind of choreograph it, right? That kind of dictates everything from, and it flows from there. This These days, most of the shows are, um, are choreographed to a, a music score. Uh, there are a few that still uh, wish to have them traditional, which they're beautiful shows where you really focus on the beauty of the product and not the uh, the influence of music. When we talk about these fireworks, you know, the big ones that are being sent off in, in, into the air, like how are they different from the stuff that I buy at the stand? Like how how is it different from that? The chemistry is pretty much the same as far as the combustion to create colors and, and to create noise and create crackle and whistle. Uh, it, the difference is the volume, is the size, is the um, some of the chemistry is different because of the 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 the, the user and the trained aspect of the uh, the professional pyrotechnician than the general public. And by and large, most of it is larger. You know, some of our devices are 12 inches in diameter and they'll burst the size of three or four football fields. There's differences in how it's how it's fused. So when you light it with a with a with a lighter, it takes so much time before it ignites as compared to most of all of our products are fired electronically. So we have very elaborate computer systems that will initiate things electronically. Is it a lucrative business? My family's been producing firework displays for six generations now. Um, I, we don't have a Learjet, but we do support our families. Uh, you know, we work for the money that uh, that we make through the, through the business. There's a lot of employees that are not Gruchis, but yet they've been with us for 30, 40 years. So it's it's lucrative to the extent that we support our families. We live comfortably, but uh, it's not a business where, where we can retire in one year. Was it something that like, is this something that you really wanted to do? Or was this because it's a family business? Like, look, this is always going to be your path. No, no, no. I, uh, I I went to college and I, got, I had my degree in finance and, and business administration and uh, I knew when I was a very y- young age as a as a young male um, you know you got that that energy and that power into your blood when you were a young you yeah. know six years old I remember being on a barge with my dad in Cody Island uh, every Tuesday during the summer we would have a performance for the amusement park in Coney Island and then every Wednesday would be uh, Rockaway Playland. So I got it in my blood at a very young age. You know, back in the 70s, um, it was it was a little easier than it is now. So my my son Christopher and my nephew Corey, um, they couldn't touch anything or even be anywhere near the fireworks until they were 18. So they kind of missed that uh, that period of time to get addicted to it as as much as I did when I was you know that was the only thing I really knew that was as exciting as as you know as anything, and I chose wow, this is what I want to do. I didn't choose it because I felt I was obligated to do it because of the heritage. I was too young to, by the time I could realize that, you know, you had the pressure of a family business, I was already addicted. So I, I and I, even today, even with the challenge, it's not an easy business. It's, a, and it's not an easy occupation. Um, but the part of it that keeps you going is the art form, you know, the creative aspect of it and see something um, in, in a short term, you create it, you see it in the sky, you see the pleasure it brings to your question before. Yes, it's it's um, it gives us financial benefits to survive and feed our children and put you know, clothing on our backs and have nice houses and nice cars. But the addiction part of it is is the creative part and watching a fireworks show and turning around. Look, 
look at the audience and, and you're looking at um, the, the five-year-old uh, grandchild next to his or her grandfather or grandmother. And they're looking at the fireworks show and their face looks almost exactly the same. The only difference is one has more wrinkles than the other. But the expression on their face, it's pretty much the same. The jaw is open. They're not looking at cell phones. They're not, you know, they're not, they're not, they're not texting. They're not playing games. They're watching for that 20 minutes or 10 minutes or however long the show is. They're watching that fireworks show. And for the for the elder people, the 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 adults, for that twenty minutes or whatever it is, they have no they have no worries. They they forget about all the problems that they may have or the problems in the world. What do you think is it about fireworks that kind of captivate us so much? Because it is like it's a bright light in the sky and a loud noise, but for some reason, like it really gets our attention. One, it's um it's it's energetic right it's 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 energy it's a lot of and it's forceful and 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 it's dangerous to an extent right to the audience it's like it's that little mystery that's going on behind there behind that behind the the fence line and saying wow you could hear the power and it also it also tickles all of your senses if you think about it right you can watch a movie or you could watch a, a powerful fireworks program on television but do you get the same reaction if you're if you're live no you get a better reaction because it's live because you can feel it on your skin. You can feel the pressure on your face. You can, you could smell it too, right? You could smell the smoke in some cases and it's bigger than life. You know, it's something that's where you feel like you could reach out and touch it. And it's, you know, your peripheral is filled. Where do you, where can you get a medium like that in the art forms that provides that kind of excitement? And there's a little bit of it. I do believe is the fact that it's 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 got a little element of danger in their perception, like a, going to a car race, right? Think about how many times and what opportunities you have to really hang with your family, and all of you enjoy the same thing. So we don't usually get into this this early, but I think a lot of these kind of sum up questions that we would normally talk about. So, are you ready for some harder slash listener submitted questions? Absolutely. What is the most impressive firework to you? The most impressive to me, <clears throat> this uh, is a shell that we, we actually manufacture. And, and it's a shell that my dad kind of, well, I shouldn't say kind of, did develop and, and, uh, and displayed it in such a way that it became close to our trademark look. It's called the Gucci, it's a golden flitter split, splitting comet. And the shell has multiple dimensions to it. So when it bursts, one, the color is very rich. It looks like 14 karat gold, but it's got a shimmer to it. And it has inside of the shell, it's got 52 of these very large comets that when it bursts, it looks like a spider's legs that are coming out. And then just as it appears like it's going to go out, the ends of all of that, the tentacles at the bottom, all spit, split and explode at the same time. So it's a double dimen a dual dimensional item. It's very elegant. We typically would display that right before the finale. So when you have those fireworks that I always think of the one that's like, boom, and then it goes, boom, and then there's like, shh, and then a boom, right? right. So that's multiple shells inside that's of the a, same. That's a multi-break shell. That's correct. Now, or, or the shell has one break, but the components inside of it then have multiple breaks. So you can have a splitting comet, as I meant, just mentioned, a gold flitter splitting comet, which is one break, one burst. But all the little, all the comets inside of it have another secondary burst. So you get kind of a two-stage effect out of it. Are they fickle or are they pretty 
pretty reliable in the sense that, yeah, we're dealing with explosives, but this thing is going to act exactly how I think it's going to act. Yeah, it's, it's by the time we bring it to the site, to the display site and to our staging area, it's it's been tested at the factory. Now, it is it is a uh, an item that's primarily made by hand. That's why it's still very much an art form and a craft because a lot of the products are molded by hand, although the components may be molded uh, with biodegradable polymers and things like that. But um, the, uh, the the construction of it is made by hand. Do, do you ever have a failure? Yes, sometimes we do have a failure of the device. So it may not look as perfect as it is, but that's that's way down in the in the sub percentage, you know, sub single digit percentages. And, you know, there's there's laws and there's regulations on the distances to the audience and things like that to accommodate for that. So if you notice on every firework display, you should not be very close to that point of discharge when that firework is coming out. How much like how would your average firework that, that we see in a firework show, like how many how many things of TNT or like how powerful of an explosive is it usually? Well, there's, there is a TNT equivalence to it, but, you know, and the, the general public doesn't necessarily know what a factor of one. This is one half of it, you know, the, the value of TNT. But the, the explosive that we work with primarily is black powder. So where TNT is more of a, um, a cutting type of a high explosive for for doing damage, black powder, although it's explosive and although it makes noise and it does things like push, push fireworks into the sky and burst fireworks open, it doesn't have what's called the brisance as TNT does. So the TNT equivalent of black powder is is lower if you did light them and you did and they did light unintentionally and in bulk, there could be there could be substantial collateral damage done in the area that they fire. If they're not launched out of a mortar tube and fired in the sky as they're intended. Is there one firework that you guys have that you would say like, oh God, like, hey guys, we, this is, you know, you know, Betsy here is, is, is she's the dangerous one. Or are they all pretty much the same? That, well, no, the, it, there are items that you have to have, you know, as, as I mentioned before, you have, there's a distance that we have to the audience based on the firework diameter and size. So yes, as the, the size and the weight of the firework gets larger and larger, they become more and more powerful. So if we bring out a 12-inch in diameter shell, it's treated with a, a little bit more, uh, a lot more distance to the audience because it's going to burst about 10 times the diameter as this little 2-inch shell that you might be able to even see uh, sold uh, down south, you know, legally in a consumer fireworks uh, area. But there's not... Those items that you look at and go, oh, this one's a lot less reliable than the other one. In your opinion, what is the most overrated firework? Not saying it's not good, just the one that you're like. That's a good <sighs> question. I never, never even thought about overrated. You know, that's, I don't. I, you got me stumped. You're, you're right. Some of these questions that I've never heard of. What's the most overrated? I guess the most overrated firework would be a salute. It's a, it's a, it's the one that goes in the air. Boom! You only hear a boom. A white flash of 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 uh, you know it's the chemistry that's used inside that gives you the white flash. It's the easiest firework to make um, because it's very there's two components and, and you yeah. put it in a cardboard tube and that's what uh, you know what the bad guys make as far as uh, you know the contraband and the illegal illegal explosives that are out there. People call them fireworks. They're not fireworks. They're illegal explosives because it's so easy to make. 
So that one I, I would say is overrated because you get too much, there's too much attention to it because everybody says, I know how to make fireworks and you know, you make that and it's, and it's too easy. What's your favorite color of firework? Blue. Least favorite? Green. Green and red. And the reason why green and red is because some back to the you know green and red is probably the easier colors to make. So when you see a fireworks show that's predominantly red and green, um, it's just because they can't make a good blue. Blue is very difficult. Blues and purples are very difficult to make a good blue. What's the hardest color to make? Blue. Blue is? Yeah, blue. Oh, okay. Because of the temperature, the temperature band in order to create blue is much narrower than some of the other colors. So the temperature that you have to burn, burn the copper, which, which is the metal that's used to create the color blue, it has to, the, the, the range that you have to get it into in order to get that blue spectrum is much narrower than the other colors that you, that you can create. White's easy. And like I said, the reds and greens are kind of kind of the easier ones to make in, in the color spectrum. Blues and purples, those are a little bit more difficult. And then the other thing, too, is to control the burn, having the ability to control how fast they burn, because you can make a really good blue, but it burns too slow. And if it burns too slow, all of the blue items that are coming out of your fireworks show are landing on the ground. So if you can't control how fast they burn, then you may have something that becomes that shell that you say, hey, we can't shoot that because all the products will land on the ground, put the grass on fire, put the woods on fire. Most fireworks you've launched at one time? 960,000 devices, which was a world record <laughs> in eight minutes. <laughs> 52 different cities spread out around the entire kingdom of Saudi Arabia. <laughs> Can you tell me how much they spent on that? Over 12 million, which is not... Relatively speaking, it wasn't that much for them, for the, for the size of the performance. This question is kind of interesting. When you watch other people's fireworks shows, what is a rookie mistake that other people make in programming their fireworks shows? Like if you're watching somebody else's fireworks show, you'll see it and be like, oh, that's a rookie mistake. Too much too much of anything is is sometimes not a good thing. So sometimes people feel that the more you put up in the sky – the better the show is going to be. So if you may have seen some shows that um, what we call whiteout. So if you if you fire uh, the the beautiful blues, the beautiful greens, the beautiful reds, the beautiful oranges, purples, and all that, and you fire them too quick and you have too much in the sky, it basically whites out. You don't see the colors anymore. Plus another factor is when you when you when you fire too much, you got too much smoke, and then uh, after a few minutes of the program, it obliterates the sky where you can't see the fireworks behind it. What is a show that you said that you feel like people people should go see that at some point? There's a performance that we have every year at the Hagley Museum and Library, which in, which is in Maryland, uh, and it uh, it's at the old Dupont factory that made black powder on the brandy on the Brandywine River, and that's a program that they've maintained their traditional ways where the old set pieces and the, and the fire paintings and the pinwheels and all of the old style of fireworks still exist in that program. We've been displaying that for many years now. And that one for us is a special one because it brings back all of that old school type techniques. You know, they, they haven't gotten 
overly addicted with the technology where everything becomes a little stale sometimes when you when you have super precision and it's always, you know, this, 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 after a while, you want to see a little bit of organics to it. Things kind of free flowing. And that Hagley Museum and Library is the one that you'd want to go see. What would you say overall is like, when you look, look at your career so far, what would you say is like, that's the coolest thing I've done? There's, yeah, that's, there's a few of them. <laughs> and that, that's what gets me waking up in the morning <laughs> to do another one. Sometimes I wonder, while you're while you're producing them, whether you could take on another one of them because you, your body could physically take it anymore. But yeah, uh, one I would say was the world record in 2014 when we had uh, it was in the Middle East and we had uh, that's where we had the 250 pyrotechnicians and we had the 12,000 devices on the on the on the uh, on the roof on the on the building of the Burj Khalifa, which is the world's tallest building. We lit up the entire island that was in the shape of a palm tree with 250 boats and 52 flatbed trailers full of fireworks. And then we had the world islands. We had 132 islands that we fired from all simultaneously at the same time. And when you came, you know, when we when we accomplished that feat, it was something that when you get compliments from your own industry members and your competitors and said, how the heck did you guys do that from a from a technical and logistics perspective? It was pretty impressive. Um, from a creative perspective, uh, you know, we, there was probably Statue of Liberty, um, the Brooklyn Bridge when we when we produced the Brooklyn Bridge program, um, and most recently, I say most recently, but 2014 was the 200th anniversary of, of the national anthem of our Star Spangled Banner, and we were commissioned to produce a fireworks show. They wanted to have something unique, and and it was just at the time when we developed and patented a microchip that we put inside of some of the very high-end fireworks that we display. And that microchip gives us the ability to launch an item in the sky and put a 30-foot dot in the sky of a color. And when they came to us for the celebration of our national anthem, it was at Fort McHenry, which is in Baltimore, which is the, the area that Francis Scott Key actually penned our national anthem. So we proposed to them to put an American flag in the sky that's 700 feet wide by 500 feet high, right at Fort McHenry. And they gave us, they commissioned us to do that and to sit there and watch that flag unfurl in the sky in front of the, in front of the fort to commemorate our 200th anniversary of our national anthem was, that was a special moment in my life because, you know, all of the design and the engineering that it took to create that and it, and it came off like perfectly. It looked so spectacular. This is the last one for me. What's the next thing? Like, what's the future? Oh, you know something. What the future is right now is where we're where we're putting a lot of our resources as on the environment, right? So fireworks, when they go up in the sky, they burst, and whatever goes up comes back down to the ground. Paper or whatever they're made, what they whatever they're made, some of it burns up. So we're we're working very strongly, very hard, and, and investing a lot to. Uh, to reduce the carbon footprint, to to make the debris that comes down biodegradable. Um, it is biodegradable now because it's all paper, but make it such that it can be molded, you know, with similar to the way you mold plastic, but yet it's not plastic. Uh, we don't use any plastics in our fireworks because, you know, over the waterways and things like that, it's not, it's not healthy for the environment. So we're going down the path there. Um, we're also going down the path in technology where, um, some of it's on the business side, which is boring, you know, the production management and all that good stuff. But on the fireworks specifically, to be able to address something 
put the address uh, so when you load it into the mortar, you don't have to have any wires attached to it. You just load it in the mortar very quickly and, and the firing systems find those shells, you know, with RFID technology and things like that. Um, to the audience, it's not really it's not really seen, but it but to the for the um, efficiencies and safety, it's it's a, it's an advancement for us. Um, and then we're always developing things like the pyro drone, uh, like the microchip and things like that. So the audience does appreciate those new and innovative scenes. So, you know, I sometimes get get uh, going in multiple directions. Fortunately, we have a factory down in Virginia. We have uh, just under 200 people in our factory in Virginia so we could develop and make our own fireworks without, you know, off uh, having them go offshore and get made in, in Europe or into in China or Asia. So it's, it's exciting. It's exciting. And another part of our business is actually in uh, simulation, manufacturing products for our Department of Defense. So, uh, you know, hand grenade simulators and uh, mortar simulators and things like that. Fireworks have a great synergy, bangs, smoke, flash, right, loud noises. So we make all of these uh, training devices that are not lethal. And then we can train the troops on the delay time of throwing a hand grenade in the bang without having the lethal, the lethality of the uh, of the shrapnel. So that's another part of our business that's actually saved us during the COVID periods because our factory was essential. And when the fireworks displays basically stopped in 2020, a lot of our employees, we moved them down to Virginia to, to sustain their employment while we were going through this 2020 horror of, uh, of COVID. America loves fireworks, but what country likes fireworks the most? America has won. I could tell you, I don't know. You know, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot, you saw last year in 2020, uh, if any one of the, any neighborhood that I know of this last year just opened up, you know, to, uh, to shooting their own fireworks shows because of, you know, being pent up in the house and things like that. I guess the, the other one would be maybe Spain, you know, Spain does some pretty impressive firework displays. China naturally on their Chinese new year, they have huge firework shows coast to coast, although they're they're starting to suppress um, having those kind of, you know, they in China, there are no regulations or were no regulations. The public can go out in the middle of the street and, sh and display something as large as what we would what we would produce right in our own, you know, on one of our professional displays. But they were having, you know, many, many injuries and they started to cut down on it. So but I think I think the United States. Is, by and large, the United States consumes the most fireworks in the world in their consumer fireworks side. So the public, the general public, there's only, I think, two states in the country that do not allow fireworks. The majority of the other states all allow some form of fireworks. So it's very popular here. And I'm, I suspect this 4th of July, you'll see quite a lot of activity out there. I just ask you to please make sure whatever anybody that's listening don't do it if it's illegal. It's not worth it. Right now, with the security of the, of the world and the country and, um, you know, what we're going through right now, if you are caught with fireworks illegally in your community, you know, you could be in a lot of trouble and it's not worth it. Go to either a professional show or only use the consumer fireworks that are legal in your area, in your community. I want to thank Phil so much for joining us. If you want to connect with him, we have linked to him on our social media accounts. We're profoundly pointless on Twitter and Instagram, and we have also included his information in the episode description. Do you trim? Do you trim your armpit hair? Yes, I shave it all off. Actually, you shave it straight off. Yeah, I shave. I shave my like like a 
like a professional wrestler that like I do that, but not obviously for those reasons, just because it just gets to be a hassle after a while, man. I'd rather just shave it off and have it grow back. See, I've never shaved it off. I've always trimmed it, but I've never taken it completely off. I feel like it would be itchy. Did you start by just trimming it down and then go to completely off? Or did you go straight I to mean, completely off? I mean, maybe, but I've been doing completely off since, you know, my my early 20s. So I don't really remember too much. Okay. All right. Now, do you shave besides the one area? Let's not get into specifics because nobody wants to, to really think about that at all. Yeah, nobody. But do you trim Do you trim other areas of your body besides your <laughs> armpits and the nether region? Do you trim anything else? No, I don't have to because I – what's funny is I can't grow hair on my – like I have no back hair. I have no chest hair. I have no fat guy belly hair. Like I have no I, – I, I can't really grow hair except in, in certain places that you've already alluded to. Man, fat guy belly hair might be one of the worst places to have extra hair. <laughs> That's pretty bad. <laughs> it's There's even few- worse when you're like shirtless and you get things stuck in it. It's even worse. Fat guy belly hair or like overly hairy chest hair where it starts coming out of like a a crew neck shirt, like the collar, the traditional collar, and you can yeah. still see it. Like you got to do something about that. I, or like if somebody has just a button on, you know, a button up T-shirt and you can see the hair coming through the seams in the shirt. Ooh, like that's, that's pretty bad. Yeah, yeah you got to do something. Somebody's got to tell you about that. Your friends aren't <laughs> real friends if they're not checking you. <laughs> that's why you're a good friend because you always check me even when i don't deserve it all right let's go let's just let's your shout outs let's hear them all right yeah let's give some huh all right we'll start off with uh danielle sabrina appreciate you uh monet matt strain joe cox nobody laugh at that uh david sorge Bo bosley billy didaro brandon lie Emily English and Jake Blue. Y'all get the shout outs for, for the day. So or for the week rather. So congratulations. Okay. All right. Okay. Shout out. All right. So my first question's uh, uh you're going through it right now, uh, which is why I want to ask you, but would you rather go through a heat spell or like a, a super cold spell? Cold. I'll take cold pretty much any day of the week, right? So for reference, I'm in Seattle. That's where I'm based out of. As we're recording, this is supposed to be 113, which is about 40 degrees above the average Seattle temperature. If you were in Phoenix, that'd be like 150. So it's ridiculously hot. But I would still much rather be cold than hot just because hot, there's, there's nothing you can do about it. You can't, you can't do anything, right? Like cold, yeah. you can just keep adding layers. But hot, you're just like, fuck, it's hot. Do you think, and you also don't have air conditioning? I, yeah, I we don't have important. air conditioning. Do you think who's if you had the it, genius, who's the genius who thought of that? Like, hey, let's build. I know that the polar ice caps are melting, but let's go ahead and build houses without air conditioning. <laughs> well, it sounds like a, a, a terrible real estate decision on your behalf. It sounds um, like some cheap ass built my house and then some dumbass bought it. <laughs> <sighs> I love how you said some dumbass, not. Anyways, uh, if you had AC, would that would that change your opinion or no? Yeah, dude, obviously. Uh, all right, you're at the beach. Are you doing boat shoes, sandals, or just bare feet? No, I'm wearing tennis shoes onto the beach because I'm not spending money on an extra pair of shoes just to go to the beach and take them off. I'm going to wear my normal tennis shoes and I'm going to take them off when I get to the sand like a normal person. 
uh, while you're applying flip-flops at the beach are ridiculous like you're accomplishing nothing right there you're slowing yourself down because then you you still got the flip-flop on and you got sand in the back of it and you walk and it flips the sand up everywhere i mean those are rookie beach mistakes (laughs) i i I mean that's why i love i love asking you these things you are you are the messiah of beach going apparently i think a lot about it right like what are you gonna do I'm probably doing sandals. I'm not wearing tennis shoes on the sand. I can tell you that. Oh, I do. Is there a difference between sandals and flip-flops? Uh, I'm not I'm I'm not privy to knowing that, but I'm going to I'm going to say no cuz they're both open-faced shoes or open-toed shoes, I think. So I think they're the same thing. Okay. Yeah, I can't think of a difference. Maybe there is a difference for for women that they're different kinds of shoes, but for men, they feel like they should be the same thing. I it could be. I uh, you might have just sparked a debate. I'm not entirely sure. Okay. All right. All right. <laughs> and then uh my 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 current event thing I want to bring up to you. Uh it's not it's actually now funny, but I I'm it's something that I I thought about a lot when I lived in a high rise. And obviously we know about the high rise that collapsed in Surfside, Florida. Um, you know, terrible situation. Uh I lived in a high rise kind of similar to that a little bit bigger, but either way. And I often wonder to myself a lot of times, you know, like, man, this building could go down at any second. Like, you know, it, just, it was just quite scary. Whether that's the truth or not, I'm not saying it was. But, um, you know, so I guess I just wanted to bring it up and, and just get your thoughts on on just, you know, because you lived in a high rise for several years, too. And, and just, you know, did that ever cross your mind? Never. Like, that's the kind of thing. And I'm not disparaging other countries, but that's the kind of thing that like that doesn't happen in America, right? Simply because you've got building standards, you've got access to resources. It's not like you're living in third world country somewhere where that kind of thing might be able to happen and they just can't afford the right materials or there's not codes or the government's instable or anything like that. Like that's the kind of thing that just doesn't happen here. It's, I wouldn't ever even think about it like, hey, man, maybe we shouldn't be doing this. Like we've lived in buildings where there's a pool at the top of them or on floors above. Like that's a terrible idea. I mean, it's not like I sat around worrying about it, but I, I definitely thought it from time to time just, you know. But, yeah, just those, those pictures were incredible. I, I can't, you know, we won't go into too much of the super sad stuff because that's not what we do here. But, uh, yeah, it was, it was incredible. I couldn't even imagine can imagine just laying in bed at 1 30 in the morning and just you know it just collapsing that's just insane the thing is is like it's always that saying like people say like oh shit just happens shit happens like shit doesn't just happen it takes time and effort like there had to have been signs that this building that something was going wrong with it right like you have to get inspections on a certain basis and there's a lot like somebody nobody nothing like a crack didn't get to the point where like somebody like man that we should probably call somebody about that. <laughs> well, of course, right as soon as it happened, within hours, uh, right, it was it came out that it was undergoing the building was undergoing a forty year check or renovation pro- plan or something, and and then you know there was a couple other days later it came out that the what it was built on uh, there were stability issues. I mean, so of course, like you said, it just doesn't happen not naturally usually, and not in this country normally. No, I mean. I- uh, any developed country. That's not like America is so amazing, but sure, right. any developed country, that kind of stuff doesn't happen. 
Yeah, I just well, we do. <laughs> Way to make everybody sad, dude. Thanks. No, I, I thought I thought you you sounded almost intelligent there. So congratulations. Yeah. Okay. All right. Are what? you ready for our top five? Yeah, I think we should sound unintelligent and try to do a good top five here. So from talking about things that never happen in America to things that always happen in America, our top five is top five things that just say America, <laughs> like America. And for our international listeners, we would we actually do have international listeners, which is amazing. Thank you very much. Um, but we'd love to hear what you guys think like about America. So what's your number five thing that says America? <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, Lee Greenwood's God Bless the USA. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't even I, – if someone showed me a picture of Lee Greenwood and 10 other random people, I would never even know who he is. But everybody's heard that song. Do you even know what Lee Greenwood looks like? No. I, I, can't, I can't say anything else he's ever done, but I, I could pick him out probably in a lineup, I think. Could you sing uh, just a couple of lines from the song for people who aren't familiar? From Detroit down to Houston wow. to New York to L.A. There's pride in every American heart, and it's time we stand and say. I don't know why you went like Southern Rednecky with it, <laughs> but if that, that's if that's your commentary on the United States, that's fine. Uh, my number five is lifted trucks. <laughs> Americans love lifted trucks. And if I've, you've I've, been here long enough, you'll see a li- not only lifted trucks, but like lifted Geo Metros and all kinds of cars where you wonder like, what the hell? Yeah. Why did you invest $1,000 to do that when your car is worth 500 bucks? <laughs> your Ford Escort should not be 36 inches off the ground. I'm sorry. No, dude, there's no reason to lift a Geo Metro. <laughs> Makes makes no sense. Yeah, yeah, lifted yeah, lifted vehicles are something that are just ridiculous, I think, anyways. What do you think happens in those situations where somebody lifts a ridiculous car? Like they really wanted to get it lifted, they really think it's cool, or like some mechanic was like he was somebody's test case, like, hey man, I need to work on doing a lift. Can I do it to your shitty car? And the guy's like, Yeah, sure. <laughs> need to practice. I honestly I honestly think it's more of like a, a a money thing. Like somebody's like, man, I want to make my car badass, but I only have so much money. So they spend the thousand bucks on that, not knowing they could get maybe a, a newer car, or better car for a thousand bucks. You know what I mean? So, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of unnecessary body work done to shitty cars in America. All right. What's your number four? Uh, American football. The NFL. Okay. I thought about, I seriously thought about putting that as number one. It's not actually on my list, but I seriously thought about putting it as number one because it's mean, definitely up there. Like, that's an American thing. It's the only sport other than NASCAR that, you know, isn't, isn't national, you know, isn't international that, that we tout ourselves as being the best at. Is, is what's more American, NASCAR or football? I mean, Maybe forty years ago, I would have said NASCAR, but now I'm gonna I'm going to say football because, as Americans, we we don't right. I mean, look what they're doing to almost all sports. They need to be quicker, they need to be faster, and they just people just want to see other people bash into each other, no matter what they're in. But football has some interest outside of the United States of America. Like there is a Canadian Football League 
There are some football leagues in other places. There is some interest. I don't think there's any interest in NASCAR outside of America. There isn't because of Formula One. Formula One is right. by far the dominant. Well, then I can see your argument. Then I can see your argument a little bit. Like, what's the difference, right? Like, you're talking about car racing either way. Okay. Uh, my number four is uh, debt. You don't think there's massive debt around the world? Not like in America, baby. We got to <laughs> spend that money on lifting our trucks. <laughs> um. Okay. Uh, I have some things similar to that coming up. Okay. All right. What's your number three? Uh, country music in general. Man. Yeah, I would agree with you. I wouldn't argue with your list, right? Like, I don't feel that, like, specifically, I guess, is there... It's kind of amazing how little we know about other countries' music. I mean, yeah, but I also feel like unless you just sit down and study them for days and years, I mean, you know, no one has time to do that. I couldn't tell you what they play in Romania. But I'm telling you, it's probably not country music. No, it's probably that's pretty American. Uh, my number three is underage drinking. See, I don't see. I would disagree. I don't think that's a, an American thing at all. I mean, in Europe, they start drinking at like age thirteen. But it's not like super illegal like it is here, right? Like I think in most other countries, it's eighteen. But even then, they're kind of like, oh yeah, whatever. But in America, like at 21 and you've got to have the right ID and they got to scan it like they're really we're really serious about not letting people drink over until they're 21, even though everybody drinks under the age of 21. Underage drinking is a major like a major rite of passage in America. Yeah, I mean, I don't I, I don't disagree with you, but I don't know if I would have put that on my top five. Okay, all right. What's your uh, number two? Uh, our leaders, for good or for bad, uh, I mean, look at our last president. Everyone in the world knew who he was. Yeah, that's true. Look yeah. at Abraham Lincoln, George Washington. Around the world, they know those names. Barack Obama, George Bush getting a throw uh, shoe thrown at him, for God's sakes. You know what? Let's not comment on anything political in that kind of sense, but you have to admit when you watch that video of a shoe getting thrown at him, like he did a pretty damn good job of dodging that. Yeah, I like you said. I won't get into politics, but as a person, he is a he is a past president. I would love to sit down and have a beer with. He seems like he's just a goofy guy. He knew like it's not like he saw somebody throwing the shoe and then just generally dodged. Like he saw the trajectory of the shoe in close range and then dodged it appropriately. It wasn't just like he's like, oh, this guy's throwing something. I'm just gonna duck. Like he was reading the room. Like oh. All right, slightly to the left. Like it was good for for a man in how old or old he was, probably in his sixties. Like it's a little bit of athletic ability there. Uh, my number two is obesity. Okay, so yeah. So Actually, I, oh wait, I crossed. Sorry, I crossed obesity out, but this is related to obesity, and I just put frying things. Okay, I mean, I guess I'll just go into my number one, which is which is obesity slash. Our terrible, fucked up, confusing healthcare system. Oh yeah, we have a terrible healthcare system. Yeah, we. It's like for other this for people listening in other countries, this might sum it up well. You can, for the cost of a surgery in America, 
you can actually fly or travel to another country, stay in a hotel there for two weeks, get that surgery done, recover in that country, and then fly back here after your vacation. And it's still cheaper than getting it done in America. It's kind of it's kind of ridiculous. Uh, my number one is guns. That's a good see. That's yeah. a good one, too. We love you, guns, dude. I would agree with you wholeheartedly. All right, dude. Uh, what's in your honorable mention? Uh, so I, I actually had NASCAR in there. Um, I put fast food, but I don't. I think fast food's famous Ooh. everywhere around the world, right? Like it's just not here in America. Um, I think we're. I think we're leading that charge. I think it's pretty much everywhere. Uh, I had buffet measurement, mm. like measurement, dude. Nobody else is going by foot. That's our baby. Foot and yard. Yeah, that's for sure. Our, uh what the hell oh big gulp <laughs> big gulps okay well see you later I, I i think you know i'm proud to be an american god bless america finish out the lee greenwood song bro and jesus and my marlboro cigarettes and my white can budweiser with the red oh, lettering man. yeah that says america right a budweiser <laughs> a Budweiser jean shorts and tank top is the ultimate American outfit for 4th of July. And a mullet. You got to include the hair, man. Yeah. Or a bandana. No. Can't really go bandana unless you're oh. just getting off of a motorcycle. You have 10 to 15 seconds to have a bandana on. <laughs> but you have to be just getting off of a motorcycle, I think. All right. Finish out the Lee Greenwood song. Uh, well, I don't even remember where I was. So I guess I'll just go. I'm proud to be an American, and at least I know I'm free. But I won't forget the men and women who've died, who Mm. gave that right to me. So I gladly stand up (laughs) next to you and defend her still today. Okay, that's going to go ahead and do it for this episode of Profoundly Pointless. I want to thank you so much for joining us. If you get a chance, like, download, subscribe, share. We really appreciate it. It really helps us out. Fast food should have been higher up on the list. Budweiser should have been there. Field parties. That's it. That's a... That's a pretty big Midwestern American thing, too, is a field party. But if, 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 you, if there's something else that you think really just symbolizes America that you think that we've missed, go ahead and let us know. We'd love to hear from some of our international listeners. Like, what are, you, what are some things to you that just scream America, America, that you think that we've missed? Go ahead and let us know. We'd love to hear from some of our international listeners. Like, what are, you, what are some things to you that just scream America?